Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. How is everybody doing? I am Corbin Maxey. Hope you all are enjoying this Monday, or I guess whenever you listen to the show. I hope you're enjoying today. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen to the program. Okay, so if you followed my social channels this weekend, you'll know that I looked like a complete tomato. Uh, yeah, man, I was just burning up in the sun. It was over almost 100 degrees out here in Idaho along the Snake River, and we're currently putting the roof on our new alligator exhibit for our two rescued alligators, Sonny and Chompers. And I will tell you what, it was so funny because my dad and our friend, you know, we were kind of doing this together, and at first it was like, oh yeah, the roof is going to be super easy, you know, we'll build the trusses, then we're able to, you know, lift them up, and yeah, we'll get the roof on in, a di- in like a day. Yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, I have a new respect for people who deal with roofing, I'll tell you what. Uh, anyway, so check out my Instagram story or my highlight reel. Uh, if you click on the alligator and the construction emoji, you could see our progress and what we were doing. So we're getting there though. We're halfway done with the roof and so we're making progress every little bit at a time, which is great. You know, and a lot of people have been messaging me saying, well, you know, why is a new alligator exhibit not done? And, you know, honestly, it's just life and being busy and doing these live appearances and shows and travel and podcast interviews. But folks, I promise it is going to happen sooner than later. So once again, if you want to see updates, head on over to my Instagram, click on my story. You can also see it on my Instagram highlight reel. And it's super easy to see the whole like videos and clips of like the whole progress. If you just click on the highlight reel with the alligator emoji and the construction sign. Okay. With that said, a little bit of house cleaning before we get to our awesome interview, which I know you were all going to love. So I'm probably the last podcast out there, I guess the last animal podcast out there, who has decided to start a Patreon. Now, for those of you listening and you're like, wait, wait, Patreon who? Who's the, did you say the Pantheon? No, I'm talking about Patreon. So Patreon is a way to support the podcast. So if you love the show, if you listen every week and you want to help support it by, let's say, buying new equipment, helping with web hosting fees, uh, just a variety of different stuff, you could start donating to Patreon. And, you know, basically it, it could be any, you know, anywhere from a dollar to more than a dollar to five dollars to ten to a million Please, come on, anyone out there, any millionaires, you can donate a million and we can get this awesome studio. And you know what? I'll give you a behind the scenes tour of the animals. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's just a joke. But really, Patreon is a way just to kind of support artists. This podcast is completely self-funded. So everything from the microphone to the headphones to the hostings to the web fees, all that stuff is you know kind of coming out of pocket. So if you would like to now contribute, you could do that. All the excess funds will also be used to help feed our rescued animals, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, for more information, check out our link, which I will include in the show notes, the Patreon link to help support the Animals to the Max podcast. Okay, on today's show, we have a fantastic guest, and we're going to talk about an animal a lot of you, I, I'm just guessing 70% of you listening probably have no idea what it is. It's called the vaquita. Now, before you're like, wait, wait, what? And you just go to Google. I want you to think, what do you think a vaquita is? Just think about that for one second. Okay, now I'll tell you. A vaquita is one of the rarest animals on Earth. Matter of fact, it is the most endangered, most critically endangered, threatened marine mammal on Earth. It is a porpoise that is endemic or only lives in the northern part of the Gulf of California that is on the brink of extinction. There are only 15 vaquitas left in the world. Let me just say that one more time. 
15 vaquitas left in the world. If you are stationary, I encourage you to go to Google or my Instagram at Corbin Maxi and take a look at what the vaquita looks like. They look like little sea pandas. They're so cute. They're only like four feet Oh my goodness, just the cutest little porpoise you'll ever see. And like I said, I've been wanting to cover them for quite some time. And on today's show, I found the perfect person, the most credible person. We have Dr. Cynthia Smith. She is the vice president and executive director of the National Marine Mammal Foundation. We talked to Dr. Smith, who literally is in the front line. She has dedicated her life trying to save the vaquita and raise awareness about the world's most critically endangered porpoise. And so we talk a lot about how people at home can help save them, which is just just amazing. You know, I'm going to be honest, when I went into this interview, I thought, man, this is going to be like a sad doom and gloom interview. And it actually turns out from talking to Dr. Smith, there is hope. Even though there is 15 vaquitas left, they have recently done research where they have found genetically that they are actually able to help save the vaquita. There's enough genetic variation to have a stable population, which just blew my mind. You're going to find more information out about that. We're also going to talk about the new film called The Sea of Shadows, which was just released nationwide. We talk about that film. We talk about her meeting her hero, Jane Goodall. She also rubbed shoulders with Leonardo DiCaprio, who helped, I believe he helped direct or produce the film. He does a lot for conservation. Awesome guy, bringing awareness about animals. So I know you're going to love the show. Without further ado, please welcome to the program, Dr. Cynthia Smith. Dr. Cynthia Smith, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm really excited to be joining you and to be talking about vaquitas today. So thank you so much for helping us spread the word. Absolutely. We've been wanting to cover vaquitas for quite some time, and I feel like a lot of people don't even know what a vaquita is, and I can't wait to talk to you. And first, let me, of course, introduce you to my audience. You you are the VP and Executive Director of the National Marine Mammal Foundation. That's right. What a title. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, I'm a veterinarian, um, a marine mammal veterinarian that now leads an organization. Uh, That is based in San Diego, and we are passionate about marine mammals, their health, welfare, and conservation. Can you, I guess before we get into the vaquita, can we go back? How did you get your start? Yeah, sure. Um, So, wow, if you go really back, I uh, was born in Cocoa Beach, and it was during the Apollo era, and my father was working for NASA at the time. So I was really inspired that whole time, like growing up in that, I was so inspired by what we were doing to explore the world. But my passion was really rooted in um, the ocean. So you're standing on the beach looking up and inspired that way, but then your feet are getting wet and splashing and you're looking out at the ocean. So for me, um, it really all began when I was just a little girl and, and realizing that, okay, science is cool. Look at all these amazing people doing it. And that's, um, that's a, a really important thing. Um, and then my love is with the ocean. And so it kind of just grew from there. Um, and then my family moved to Houston so that my dad could transition from the Apollo program to the space shuttle program. And, uh, and then I just kept following that path. So here I am now, um, many years later, and still just as passionate about marine mammals as I was as a little girl. What was your favorite marine mammal as a little girl? 
Well, you know, in um, in Florida and Texas, if you sit on the beach, you see bottlenose dolphins go by. I mean, they're everywhere. They're playing. And so it really always was um, the dolphin that I just felt the most connected to. And now um, so much of my work is focused on small cetaceans and very specifically the bottlenose dolphins. So the last, gosh, decade of, of work for not just myself, but our whole organization has been really focused on dolphins in the Gulf of Mexico. So I don't know if you've been tracking that whole thing, but um, ever since the Deepwater Horizon oil spill happened, we've been really worried about dolphins living in that region. So we've been going back and forth um, in and out of New Orleans, spending time down on Grand Isle and really understanding how those dolphins were impacted. So um, that's been near and dear to my heart. And we're not quite done with that investigation. It's still going on and, um, you know, really making sure we understand how do those type of natural disasters and our, you know, the impacts we're having on the ocean, how does that end up impacting all the species that inhabit the same waters? Mm-hmm. And what, what have you found so far? Well, it's not good news. Um, since the spill, we initially, um, we went in 2011, a year after the spill with a huge team. NOAA had assembled this, this wonderful scientific and veterinary team to try to figure it out. And we really weren't expecting to find much because up until that point, there was a, this, you know, some research, not a lot, showing that dolphins may avoid oil. They might not get that impacted. And what we found was very different. Um, they were absolutely impacted by oil. They were swimming through it. They were likely inhaling it and ingesting it. So we found lung disease, um, stress response changes, reproductive failures and a lot of animals um, died from that event and so today we're still tracking them and they're still having trouble maintaining their pregnancies and and thriving so it's a long road ahead of us and we can't all forget about the dolphins um, and all the other creatures that they represent that are still having a hard time so we're we're not going to leave the Gulf of Mexico until we really have figured out exactly how long it's going to last, and we're going to make sure that our science helps inform the restoration of the species. That's great. That's great. Now, let's just go back just a little bit, because I do have a lot of young sure. listeners, young scientists who, okay. who, who are listening, who are like, a cetacean? What in the world? <laughs> what is she talking about? So can Sorry. we just go into that? Oh, no, you're fine. Can we just go into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So cetaceans are porpoises, dolphins, and whales. And so when we talk about small cetaceans, we're really talking about anything smaller than a killer whale in general. Um, Different people have different definitions, but that's in general. And so, um, you know, we've really been focused, um, our organization's really been focused on that kind of that group. And so we we do try to learn as much as we can. They're such amazing animals. Um, And unfortunately for the kids that are listening, And for everyone that's listening, so many of the creatures living in our oceans are struggling right now. And we're not really talking about it enough. So I'm really glad to be talking to you today and having people start to think about what are we doing as humans on on the planet? And how is that? how is that impacting these animals in the oceans and what should we be doing different? Because right now we're just getting too close to extinction for so many of the creatures that, 
that live in the ocean. And, and that right now is our doing. And so we're in the middle of this mass extinction event. It's human induced. And a lot of the creatures that are, are slipping away are marine mammals. And so I, I hope we can shine a bright light on that. And I hope that everybody listening can start to think about what can I do to help solve those problems? What can I do differently today to make a difference and live in a healthier way that takes care of the planet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was great. Okay. Can we talk about the Vaquita? And I know that, I mean, I, I, and I feel so bad. I, I feel like this is going to be like the most depressing interview. You know what I mean? Someone going to work. But I think it's good, like you said, to shine a light because people need to know what a Vaquita is and what's going on. So can we just yeah. dive into that? No pun intended. Absolutely. And I tell you what, I'm not, it's, I, it's a hard, it's a hard situation, but I have so much hope. So we, we're not going to, we, this won't be depressing. We're going to, we're going to oh. make sure we inspire everybody um, because that's important to, to, to leave with. So let's, let's get to that. Yeah. So how do you want to get started? What do you want to talk about with the with the vaquita? Just how cute they are. Like probably the yeah. cutest marine mammal. Like, can you just describe them for listeners driving? They are the yeah. cutest things I've okay. ever seen in my life. So imagine a little porpoise that looks like a panda bear. So people call them the panda of the sea. They have these beautiful black um, circles around their eyes and these beautiful black lips. And they're tiny. Uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, they're, they're tinier than, than a person and they are shy and elusive and curious, um, and they're lovely. And so I think if, um, yeah, they're, they're, they should be seen as a symbol, you know, of all the marine mammals because they are just so, when you see them, it's hard to not just immediately connect so hopefully folks that are listening can quickly Google it and take a look at what those creatures look like because they're just gorgeous animals. And where are they found? They are only found in one place on the whole planet, and it's called the Northern Gulf of, of California, or other people call it the Sea of Cortez. And they're just limited to that region, and they weren't even discovered until about 1958 oh and so it was just a couple researchers that were there and they um, came upon the animals and then realized they were a brand new species and ever since then we've we've been tracking them uh, we scientists have been tracking them um, and about 20 years ago uh, we realized that they were in trouble and the animals were starting to decline so that's where the story starts to get um, tricky and interesting is that we realized way back then that the animals were really vulnerable to getting entangled in fishing gear. And, you know, that sea is just the Jacques, Jacques Cousteau once called it the aquarium of the world. It's this gorgeous sea and the waters are absolutely beautiful and blue and sparkling and there's all this amazing life inside of it. And so, of course, the communities that live on the coastline um, get there, they, they rely on that sea for their health and their sustainability. And so there's been a lot of fishing activity. Unfortunately, vaquitas are the same size as a fish that is called a tetuaba. So there have, there's been this fishery, which is now an illegal fishery because those animals have actually also become endangered. And those, the, the fishermen use the nets to catch them, and then the vaquita get caught as well. And so the, they're not intending to catch the vaquita. It's not on purpose, 
but they do. And so vaquitas are unfortunately getting entangled. They can't get to the surface to breathe, and then they, they die. So um, we need to solve that problem, and we're trying to make people more aware of the issue. And then it gets a little bit more um, dark where this illegal fishery is now being operated by organized criminals. And so it's got this um, very dark uh, thing happening there where the illegal uh, criminals, the illegal fishermen and criminals are just still going out and fishing and not really thinking about the vaquita and the fact that those animals are going to be lost in the process of what they're what they're trying to now, do there. What is the what is the the fish called again? A terra what? It's tatuaba. Tatuaba. Okay. It's a, yeah, it's a big fish. It's a type of giant sea bass, and um, they catch it not for its meat, but they actually catch it for the swim bladder. And the swim bladder is this organ inside of a fish, many fish. Um, and it, it helps with buoyancy. So it fills with air and it, it helps them, you know, move up and down. And so they take the swim bladder out, throw the rest of the fish away, which is unfortunate. And then they actually market it and, and trade it. And it makes its way all the way to, to China on the black market. Of course. So it's got this, you know, these myths as, associated with it that it brings good health and healing properties, none of which is true, um, but it's this traditional myth. And so we have to we have to get our arms around that, we have to stop the trade, we have to start to, to fish the Sea of Cortez in a, in a responsible, sustainable way so that all of these other creatures can live there and thrive and, and um, you know, be safe. Oh my goodness, that, yeah. yeah. That's uh, it's, it's so let's let's get to the hopeful part. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, Doctor Smith. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, it's, and everybody should be. And uh, you know, it's okay to be sad about it. It's. Uh, I want people to be. They should be sad and maybe a little angry about it. And, you know, we shouldn't be doing these things to the planet and to the animals that are so special and important. And we share this planet with 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 so many other animals and it's it's their home too and you know i hope we can start to really shift our thinking in that way because we're just losing species too fast and so the hope comes in where we've done a lot of work um, to study the animals and their genetic diversity and their genetic strength so unfortunately we think the species is really tiny now we're talking about maybe as few as 15 animals as 15 15 vaquitas, 15, 15, 15 one five 15, left in the world. That's right. However, the good work of the genetic scientists at the Southwest Fisheries Science Center, which is based in La Jolla, in collaboration with um, Dr. Lorenzo Rojas and the Mexican scientists that have been studying vaquitas for decades, they have done the work to figure out is the genetic strength there? Can those animals actually come back from such a low number? And the answer is yes. And we're just getting that answer now. So they actually believe and are proving it with their science that if we can just stop fishing in an unsustainable way and if we can get those nets out of the Sea of Cortez and stop this trade of swim bladders to China, that the animals can actually come back. But we don't have another moment to spare. So that's where I want everybody to get inspired and realize that 
it's not too late. And so you're not hearing about this problem when it's too late. They're not gone. There's still these beautiful little pandas swimming in the ocean, and we have the opportunity to step up and save them. And so what we need everybody to do is think about what they can be doing differently. We need to make sure the Mexican government knows that we all want to save this species, and then we need people to get involved. And so they can go to our website, vaquitacpr.org, and learn about all the different ways they can get involved and help us out. So do they have those 15 individuals? Like, tell me about their their lifestyle. I mean, you said they're extremely elusive. Like, do you guys have little bodyguards following these guys around? I mean, there's 15. Uh, could you imagine? Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. And so, yeah, they're they're um, they're very elusive, and they usually spend time in um, ones, twos, and threes. Um, they spend uh, you know about a minute underwater. They can spend up to two and a half minutes underwater, and then up to a minute at the surface. And they move around in different directions, so it's a little hard to to track them. Um, and then we also know that they have, they can have babies every year. So we thought they could only have a baby that a reproductively active female could only have a baby every other year. But what we learned last year during a photo ID study was that females are actually having a baby every year. So they can be raising a baby, get pregnant, and then have another baby the next year, which is helpful because that means that this whole idea of genetic strength and reproductive viability all combined together means that it, it is possible. It helps us believe that the animals could actually come back if we can just create some change pretty quick. How long, when you're out on the boat looking for the vaquitas, how long does it take you and your team? I mean, are you looking for them for days or? Yeah, you know, we thought they were going this last um, field effort. We thought they were going to be a lot harder to find. But magic happens when you bring the best marine mammal observers in the world um, and get them all together and get give them some big giant binoculars, which are called big eyes. And they are remarkably good at finding those animals even a mile away. So just the average Joe would have a really, you probably would spend months trying to find one. But man, you get those folks out there on a boat, um, up on a tall platform with some big binoculars, and they are extremely good at finding the animals. Is it hard to keep your excitement? Because if I was on the boat, I'd be like, "Woo! We got one! <laughs> like, oh my god, go like!" Or, 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 or do you like keep it cool? Do you keep it cool? No, like, oh, I mean, no, you don't keep it cool because why keep it cool? You know, everybody gets excited, and that's why we're all there when we go and. We try to um, search for them. That's that's every time you see one, you're just uh, your heart fills because you're so happy that they're still there and they're not gone yet. And so, yeah, no, we don't we don't try to contain it. We're professionals for sure, but man, professionals with a lot of passion. That's amazing. Now, when you are, is this just like a population census, or are you actually capturing them to put, you know, radio tags? Like, tell us just right. a little bit about what you're doing. So in August, um, there we're trying to get support uh, for going back to do two different things. One is to do a photo ID survey to make sure we know how many are left, where are they going, um, and and the second part of that is also to do what's called dart biopsy. And dart biopsy is a way of of getting a small amount of tissue from an animal that's free swimming, and you can do a lot with that tissue. And what we want to do with that tissue is actually um, send it to the frozen zoo where they already have other vaquita cells alive and well and make sure that we have in 
the freezer, so to speak, live cells from not just females, which is what we have now, two females, um, but males. Because if the species does slip away, we want to have options in 50 or 100 years for what can you do to try to bring a species back. And right now, we're only halfway there. So we have female cells. We're so grateful to Ollie Ryder and his team at the San Diego Zoo for, for doing that great work. But we don't have males, a male um, cell line yet. And so we need to get that. So we're hoping that we can not only document that the population is still alive. We hope to see babies. We want to see um, how checking in on them and how they're doing. But we also want to attempt to get some tissue and uh, get it to the San Diego Zoo so they can do their great work. And then we'll have options in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, are they like really far out at sea? Or are they going to be like found like near the coast? Like, tell me, you know what I mean? Uh, not that far out at sea, actually. So if you look at a map of the northern Gulf of California. Okay, I got you, it. <laughs> if you go really far up, I mean, it is, and, and then you find San Felipe, and you just go due east. The animals are really right there. I mean, so they have this um, Vegeta refuge that the government of Mexico has um, basically drawn and protected, and that is based on what we've learned, not just from seeing where they swim around and live, but also listening to them. So there's this group of scientists, um, again, under the direction of uh, Lorenzo Rojas, who is, everybody calls him Mr. Bakita, uh, and he works with Armando Jaramillo and Edwina Nieto, and they have been studying the animals by listening for them. So they basically put microphones in the Sea of Cortez, and they're called sea pods, and they can hear Bakitas. And so they have this whole system where they put out these microphones and they can then track and map, okay, where do the vaquita live? Where are they moving? And how many are they? They can even count them that way. And so in addition to doing the photo ID and the dart biopsy in August, we're also hoping to redeploy those um, listening devices and get another really good idea of where they are to make sure that our protections are in the right place. We want to make sure the animals range is shifting at all that we're shifting those levels of protection with them Mm -hmm. so if you are out there in the sea of cortez and you do see one of these illegal operations you know someone illegally fishing what do you do yeah so there's two different things happening one is that sea shepherd conservation society has been there for about five years and they have been just pulling up nets so if they see there's not supposed to be any nets in that region. It's illegal to put to put nets in the area where the vaquita live. So they spend a lot of time patrolling and then finding the nets and pulling them up and getting them out of the water. So that's important. And then the Mexican government, um, the military, should be patrolling and enforcing the area. And then if they see anybody illegally fishing, we are relying on them to enforce and detain anybody that is illegally fishing in the area. Uh, we want to see that get better. Um, it hasn't been very effective. And so we're hoping that by talking about Vaquita and for everybody hearing about what's going on, that they'll step up those efforts, do a better job of uh, making sure that where those animals are, that there isn't any illegal fishing activity happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to talk to you about something that's a little controversial. 
Um, and so, sure. yeah, what you're like, uh, no. Um, so, and, 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 and I don't know too much about it, but I did, I was listening to a, a few other podcasts who've covered the Vaquita, the All Creatures podcast. What's up, Chris and Angie? They did a great episode on the Vaquita, but they were saying that they, at one time, they did actually try to capture a few and put them yeah. in a sea pen. So can we talk about that? Because it wasn't, yeah, yeah, let's just talk about that. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't think it's controversial at all. So okay, our group helping to lead that whole effort. Um, I was there and uh, it was an amazing, valiant attempt to try to ban buy the animals more time. So let's talk about that a little bit. So when you're doing conservation actions and you're trying to save a species, you have different things that you can try. And for vaquitas, things just started getting bad really quick. So there were a hundred and then there were 60 and then there were 30. And so the, there's this committee, they're called Serva. They're the international committee for the recovery of Akita. And they have been recommending to the government, all these different things they could do to, to, to save the Akita. And unfortunately all the things that were being recommended weren't working. And so one option that works for different species is to say, you know what? The habitat they live in is so dangerous that we have to remove them and protect them somewhere, and in this case, in a sanctuary environment, until the habitat is safe for them again. So it just buys you time. It just allows you a little bit more time to figure out the solutions to the problems, and so that's what we attempted to do. So in 2017, the Mexican government and Serva said, you know what, it's time, we have to try this option we're worried we're going to lose the species if we don't give this a try. So we did it. And we got 60 uh, scientists from around the world combined with 30 scientists from Mexico, from 22 organizations in nine countries. And we went out on the water for five weeks and we did our very best to see if that was going to help the species. And what happened is we caught two different animals. We caught a young one um, and that animal just never settled down. And so we ended up releasing her pretty soon after we um, had found her. And we were we were uncertain then. We, we were thinking, was it because she was young or was it because she was a vaquita? So we regrouped and changed protocols and tried again. And then the next one we encountered was um, a mature old female. And she wasn't lactating, which means she didn't have any milk. She didn't have a baby on board. She wasn't, as far as we know, there was no evidence that she was caring for one. So she was older. And she actually um, looked great, and she was acclimating really well until she wasn't. And so we did end up doing an emergency release with her. She just wasn't acclimating well. Um, and then, unfortunately, we did lose her. And that at that point, we just had to all come together and say, hey, you know, this this is there's too few animals to continue to try. We don't know. At that point, we didn't know exactly why she had died. Um, so we had to say, you know, is, is, are we going to keep trying this? Even though we're so worried that if we stop, they're going to drown in the nets, in the, in, in these illegal nets. We don't want to, we don't want to cause any harm. So we just had to make that decision that, all right, this option isn't going to work for this species. Um, and, and we had to kind of fold things up and go back to plan A, which is making sure their home is safe for them. So it just made it that much more urgent. If we can't save them and protect them and buy more time that way, we got to go that much faster with 
making sure the Sea of Cortez is a healthy and, and, and safe home for them. So that's what we're doing now. We're focusing completely on trying to make sure everybody understands what's happening and can get on board and help make sure that we clean up that that area where they live and uh, and make sure those animals survive. But, and, but weren't they in like sea pens? They weren't in like an aquarium or anything like that. Oh, right? no. Yeah, actually. So we built, um, yeah, so we brought in this this very large uh, modular netted enclosure. So it was a sea pen setting. We also had a land-based facility just in case of really bad weather. We wanted to be able to get out of the wind. So we also built this whole rescue land-based center based on everything we know about harbor porpoises and finless porpoises. And so we had a lot of options. And then if that had worked, if her, the initial acclimation had worked, and we were hoping, like I said, that they were like harbor porpoises or finless porpoises, which can absolutely tolerate and then thrive in those kinds of settings, that then we could move on to a sanctuary option. A big, you know, we were talking with um, a couple organizations about building this this netted sanctuary right in San Felipe, right off the coast. And that was what we were hoping we could get to so that we could basically what you were talking about before having basically floating rangers, you know, out there protecting those animals. It was going to be something like that, but right there on land and then engaging the community and having the community start to see these beautiful creatures. And so many of them had never, have never seen one. And, um, and so that's important, you know, you need to, you need to be able to connect with animals to really fall in love with them and, and care for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what could someone at home do right now, listening to the show in the middle of Cleveland, Ohio? I don't know why I said <laughs> Cleveland. I mean, it's so far from the ocean. <laughs> like, what can they do to There's save so the vaquita? Okay, okay, I'm, I'm so ready. Many. Okay. So um, one thing is if they want to support our science and help us get back in August, uh, we're, we're working on, on raising support for that. So they can go to vaquitascpr.org, and uh, it's called Project Esperanza, and we, we want to go back and check in on the animals, photo ID, um, do the, the biopsy effort, and then the acoustic monitoring. So they can help with that. That's great. And then they can um, support Sea Shepherd, Operation Milagro, and they're out there pulling those nets out and that's critical to making sure that the species stays safe and then we didn't talk about another organization super cool um organization called earth league international and these people are um, basically the cia for the planet and they are these wildlife crime specialists who are looking at all these different wildlife trafficking problems and then going undercover and making sure we understand how products are moving and then giving all that information to governments. So for the Tatuaba trade, for those illegal fishers to get that those fish products all the way to China, there's a lot of people involved. So Andrea Crosta at Earth League International has been working to disrupt that chain and that's getting to the root of the problem. So we really wanna solve these problems. We can start to focus on things like that. And he also focuses on jaguars and rhinos and you know, he's looking at all these different things. So you can also support Earth League International. And then finally, you know, everybody can help talk about it and, and, and apply pressure in a way of support. And so let the Mexican government know that you care. There's a petition right now um, to help provide 
information to the Mexican government about how much we all care. So people can visit seaofshadows.film. We haven't actually really talked about the film. There's oh, yeah. film about this. Um, and so you can go to seaofshadows.film and there's a petition there that you can sign to help really raise um, raise up together to say, you know what, we care about the species, we want to save it. And so um, let's all, uh, you know, come together to do something really good here. Yeah, and I apologize, I jumped ahead, but I do have on my notes right here, film Sea of Shadows. I do want to uh -huh. talk about it, and it just premiered, was it last week in New York yeah, in LA? Okay. Week. Gosh, everything's going a little fast, but yeah, we, um, in terms of just, it's been a little bit of a, a crazy ride for somebody like me who isn't usually in this world. But yes, the film premiered last week in LA and um, the amazing and lovely Dr. Jane Goodall was there to introduce the film. I know. It you was, got, oh my gosh, she's a legend. I know. And you know, for, I've, I've, I've looked up to her my whole career. So just to be in the same room with her was Amazing, and then Leonardo DiCaprio also cares very what? much about <laughs> there talking about the film and promoting. He was actually executive producer of the film. He cares very much about all of these issues, and we're so grateful that he's helping us get the word out. So all of that happened, and it's in theaters in LA, it's in theaters in New York, and it's rolling out now in theaters across the country. So if you want to know, is it showing in the town close to you, then go to seaofshadows.film, and National Geographic actually bought the film and is helping um, distribute the film, and we're so grateful to them. So they have that website um, built, and you can figure out, okay, is it showing in Cleveland? I'm actually not quite sure. We can check real quick. <laughs> um, but I'm excited because it's going to be uh, in San Diego, where we're based, um, on July 26th. So uh, we're just traveling around with the film because we do want everybody to get the word and um, help join the cause. I, I, and really back on to Leonardo DiCaprio, I think that is so amazing to have someone with like an actor with so much power and so much voice. And I, I'm so happy that he's just he's just supporting all these amazing causes. I think he did something with Big Cats, too. Like, it's just incredible. It is incredible. And he actually worked with the filmmaker, Richard Litcani, who did Sea of Shadows and is shining the light on vaquitas. He had previously worked with Richard on the Ivory Game. And yep. that was about elephants. And after Ivory Game, and, and he had also worked with Andrea Crosta at Earth League International, and they were exposing, you know, the, the ivory trade. And a few months after that film came out, China was passing new laws about banning certain parts of the trade and making busts. And so that film had a big impact, a positive impact on elephants. And so we are really hoping that Sea of Shadows is going to have a similar impact, positive impact on the Kitas. And yeah, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is amazing. And he's um, he really cares about all of these things that are happening right now in the world and on the planet. And he is using his influence to help create positive change. So thank goodness for that. That's cool. Now, just like when you saw the vaquitas, you know, when you get excited, were you like, what's up? Or were you, did you have to keep it cool? <laughs> were you just like, hey, how's it yeah, going? I Dr. Mean, Smith uh, here, VP. Yeah, no, of course. No, of course it's exciting. I do have to say, like just Jane Goodall, um, you know, that's that's a hard, that's one that you don't know if you're in your life you're ever going to have that opportunity. So that was amazing. And I'm sure Leonardo would understand me saying that. Of course, it was exciting to meet him too. But whoa, to have... Uh, to be in her presence and and um, to shake her hand. I mean, that was that was just surreal. So I'm going to carry that with me forever and 
use that to fuel my inspiration and passion. Yeah, I met her in 2009. And it was one of those it was so weird because you've like read her books. And it's just like, you just look at her in the flesh. I just can't believe this lady is real. I mean, and, and I was like, you know what uh, I mean? I totally I understand. Was, she was holding a little stuffed vaquita, like a stuffed oh, animal. So, you know, really? she always carries a stuffed chimp. Yes. And then that night to introduce the film, she had a stuffed vaquita. And so, you know, of course, all of us who are passionate about vaquitas just about fell out of our chairs because it was just such an amazing sight to see that she was um, really supporting this. And I wanted everybody to feel the same way she feels. And we all feel about this special little animal. That's amazing. Yeah, we've been working with her team to try to get on, get her on this show for a few years. We're in talks, and so I'm just persistence. You know what I mean? Come on, Doctor Goodall. <laughs> anyway, well, maybe she'll come talk about vaquitas. That so you could ask her about that. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. No, what well, you did, you know, I just I love talking to you about vaquitas. Are there any fun facts? Like, can we leave on a happy like fun okay. facts that people don't know? Um, gosh, fun facts. I mean, I don't know about fun but just beauty uh, I'm trying to think uh, well let's let's say let's let's put it in a, in a beautiful thing I mean it, I want everybody just to imagine because it's if you haven't seen one it is hard to imagine what they look like so just imagine yourself standing on the on the shore and it's a beautiful day and it's it's always a little windy in San Felipe so you can imagine that and it's fresh and it smells good and and then you look out and you see these little tiny dorsal fins and maybe you see a little head pop up and that is a vaquita and maybe if you get to see their little panda face the little round black circles around their eyes that's something very special and I don't want us to lose that I want every person on this planet if they go to San Felipe to have the opportunity to see a vaquita so let's leave with that that and if the best case scenario is from all of this um, talk that we're having about vaquitas, the spotlight we're shining, that that the end result in many years from now is there are lots of vaquitas swimming around in the ocean and that we haven't lost our, our little panda of the sea. You've said it perfectly, Dr. Smith. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. You know, I know you're hanging out with a lot of bigwigs, so thank you for coming on the show <laughs> and talking about the vaquita with my audience. Oh, I love your show. Thank you so much for, uh, again, for talking about vaquitas and helping us spread the word. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.